And we're going again. Hooray! We are back. We are the Thoughtless Casual Gaming Podcast. I am Brett. I'm Jason. We are a Geelong-based gaming podcast where we're going to play some games badly and then we're going to talk some shit about them. So, welcome back. This is episode three. Yes. Twa. Uh, God knows how we've got it to this far, but that's, you know, one um, day at a time. I mean, that's not to say anyone's listened to it, but we have produced three yes. episodes. So, you know, I've listened to them. My. Awkwardly. Yeah, no, see, I can't do it. I can't. I can't go back and listen to the whole thing. No, I listened to last week's, and while it was great, it was good. Uh, we talked about Malifaux, we talked about Hobby. Uh, there were a few ums from me, and I think I might have rubbed off on you a little bit, so it was it was awkward listening. So we're still getting there, we're getting our um, sea boots on, but uh, so stick with us, we'll get there one day. I didn't listen, so ignorance is bliss. Excellent. Um, I didn't tell you anything then. <laughs> so, what we'll go into just quickly is a bit of a hobby slash geek update, I suppose. Um, I might go first, okay, Chase, good because I think yours is going to lead into this week's game. You've thought about this. I, I have. have. Preparation is key. I wrote some stuff down. So, gaming-wise, geeky-wise, I am still playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I saw that yep. up and running. It's still there. Um, I have made a bit of progress from last time. I think I was on 20% last podcast. 20.3% now? No, I'm on 56%. What are you doing? You're playing the storyline. I am. Stop it. There's 13 <laughs> scenarios in the storyline. I am up to memory sequence 12, so not far to go. I have been wandering around, and there are still times when I get on, and I just piss fart around and do nothing. I do have a full crew, a full, um, what do they call it, the Kenway's fleet. I have a full fleet, and I'm sending them around, getting lots of gold and stuff that way, and getting there. So, two more to go, having a bit of fun with that. I have managed to put it away for a little bit, which has been good. So I actually get some hobby done. But uh, what else have I got? A couple of things from work, I suppose. I did manage to get my hands on a an Alien Defiance action figure. So this this was big for me because I had totally forgotten I wanted it. (laughs) It had been uh, quite some time since it came out. And I was putting all the Aliens figures in a nice, neat little area at work the other day. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, I wanted one of these. Because the Aliens figures, they kind of all look the same and they kind of look a bit... They're not great. Shit is the yeah, word you're looking for. shit's a good one. Yeah. Um, the, but the Alien Defiance one was, was a pivotal one for me because... Defiance was a four-part, I believe, comic series, which was done by IDW. Nobody quote me on that because I'm just going from memory and my memory shit. But it was drawn by a gentleman known as Tristan Jones, who is Melbourne-based. He's a longtime friend of mine and very dark and moody sort of imagery there's um you can't see it from where you're sitting but there's a Darth Vader poster on the wall which was drawn by him so I thought 
I've got to get this. It's an action figure based on a comic and the image done by him. So I've got that. I ordered it in from work. It arrived, which was surprising because there were only six left in the company or something like that. So that's arrived. I'm actually keeping it in its box too, which is not like me. I was about to say, the the new inboxing is not your style looking around. Not at all. I like to get my stuff out. I like to see it. I like to not necessarily play with it, but I do like to pick things up. I like to get my stuff out and play with it, but I think we're we're talking about slightly different things. Well, Uh, it's always too warm up here. Anyway. um, (laughs) It could be worse. It could be too cold. So yeah, that's staying in the box, and hopefully one day soon I'll catch up. I'll catch up with Tristan, and I'll get him to sign it. Apart from that, I did get myself another Batman Who Laughs statue. I got it at the same time as I got my wife the uh, plush child from the Mandalorian. So she's loving that. That's made its rounds around the house quite a bit, especially with my son. But I picked that up and the Batman Who Laughs statue at the same time and had great pleasure in telling my wife that the child cost more. See, I almost feel like from way back when my father telling me a story of one of his mates back in the day who came home and bought his wife a T-shirt. And, you know, she opens his T-shirt and she goes, okay, why did you get me a Harley Davidson T-shirt? He goes, oh, came free with the bike. (laughs) And that's kind of the picture I had when... (laughs) Well... Actually, it it was a similar scenario, but in this case, my wife actually was messaging me. She said, you know, has this come in yet? And I took a photo of it and she said, is it as cute as it looks? And I looked at it throughout the whole day and every time I looked at it, I'm like, this child is really cute. He's plush, he's soft, he's cuddly. The plastic for his hands and his claws is actually soft, so it doesn't take away from the whole cuddling aspect if you want to do that. And by the end of the day, I'm like, can't just buy something for her. I've got to get something for me too. So, Quality in relationships, people. That's, that's what we're all it. about. That's it. Uh, apart from that, I did go last weekend. I went to a mate's place and played some board games. Uh, finally caught up with a few of them after months of not seeing them due to good old COVID. We played a game called Bunny Kingdom. Which involves like lots of little bunny models and you basically trying to take over the kingdom and make your three resources, which is like wood, fish and carrots. Yeah. There's a lot of maths involved, especially in a mm. four player game that we did, so it's you know, you're right, I'm less interested. You're you're trying to get this area, you've got a, these bunnies in your area, you've got carrot and fish, so that's two different resources. You've got three towers in that area, so you multiply them together, three by six, and then you've got to add up all these different areas that you've got control of. I tried to keep it nice and simple. I kept all my areas in the same spot. Mm-hmm. So I just go, okay, well, that's my big maths problem for the uh, for the round. And I came last. That is... That's fine. One of the key problems with a lot of games is the amount of math involved um, that's partially because I don't do math for fun, and secondly because I tend to drink while gaming, and I find that that combination means you've got to be really picky about. <laughs> I've always loved math, but uh, there was way too much in it for this game for me. It was—I mean, it was fun, but it's the premise not is bunnies. Would, yeah, I mean they multiply, <laughs> so that should be the only math you're allowed to do. More bunnies, but after that we played trial by trolley which is no maths. 
It's like already. If you've heard of Joking Hazard, it's pretty much the same sort of thing. You've got your two levels. You, you're building one, your opponent's building another, or your groups. If you're playing in groups, we were just playing three. And then a judge adjudicates on which track the trolley goes down and mows down all the people that you've just put. So you, you basically have two cards at the start for each one mm-hmm. and they're good people so you might have you know your dog as one of them you might have uh, mother Teresa as another and then your third one is placed by your opponent and it's a bad thing so it might be you know pedophile in a school playground and then you've got other cards which you can place to, to add little bits. Is this one of those end justifies the means kind of very much so. Oh, I like it. It was interesting it's I don't know how often I'd play it. And look, let's be I feel like since Cards Against Humanity came out, that They're format all... of game is very... At least it's been replicated. You had Joking Hazard. You got this. There's, there's quite a few that have since come out with that same concept of we're going to make things really wrong and funny and whoever's funniest wins. And it's this really kind of popularity contest almost. It gets very... Repetitive. Yeah. And, and it gets kind of predictable sometimes. You need to really pick your audience. Um, but my other experience with Cards Against Humanity, and this is kind of why I like the pitch ones, um, is, again, it's accompanied generally by a lot of drinking, and invariably there's somebody who stops being able to read at some point in time. And <laughs> Cards Against Humanity, when you don't have the delivery, loses so much. <laughs> I played, I bought Cards Against Humanity and I played it once at my Bucks. And this is at the end of the night we'd done, uh, I'm looking for the word, like laser tag yep. in the parking lot of a cinema. And we had the cinema set up with the Xbox. So we had all sorts of games going on the Xbox through the big cinema screen. And then we're back at, you know, back at a, uh, not an, like a rented apartment. Strippers? No, not strippers per se. We did have serving girls. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I find more awkward in an apartment setting than any other. The fridge is right there. I can get my own beer. It's- well, yeah, it was very awkward in that regard. But at the same time, it was kind of nice to be to not have to do anything <laughs> for the whole night. and. Yep. Yeah, by the end of it, Cards Against Humanity came out, and I remember laughing a lot, but I can't remember much else. And I feel like the first few times, yes, and then suddenly you know all the cards, and yeah, its replayability is is limited, but there's been a lot of games that seem to have... uh, you know, sprung off that same concept. Yeah. Yep. Joking Hazard is a good one. I've I've got that. I've played that a few times. And at the end of the day, it became very much a who makes the biggest dick joke. Yeah. And this one, Trial by Trolley, I worked out pretty quickly that a mate of mine was very partial to animals. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't want to get run over, you just chucked an animal down. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time he wouldn't run over the animals. So... It was, yeah, it was worth playing, but it's not one that I'd go back to. Fair call. Um, Hobby-wise, I have picked up Boba Fett. He has come for me for Legion, uh, so I've put him together. I haven't attached him to the base yet because I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. He comes with a little 
clear rod which goes through his uh, yeah. backpack, but I'm not too sure if I'm fond of that, so I might try and put him on like with a foot on a rock or something. I don't know. I'll work that out at another time. I'm still working my way through the Stormtroopers. I've managed to put the base white on another six models since we last talked, and I have pretty much finished a squad leader and the two heavy weapon guys for a squad, apart from the bases. Mm-hmm. So I've got the bases to go, and then they're done, and that leaves me with a whole squad. Um, but what I've found is to get me off Assassin's Creed, per se... Uh, my brother has recently started re-watching Battlestar Galactica, which is my all-time favourite TV show. It's, I mean, you know, I started watching it because it's sci-fi, it's got, you know, gun battles in space. But there's so much more to it. I love it. There's so much politics, there's so much human failing in it. There, Every single character has decisions and and judgment calls that they make that you don't necessarily agree with and they're not always good you know they they make mistakes and it's very human and i love it and when he mentioned that he was watching it again i'm like well i haven't watched that for a couple of years i could go back revisit i've got them all on blu-ray but then i found this podcast called battlestar galacticast which is done by Mark Bernardin, who's an American journalist, scriptwriter, um, very intelligent guy. Um, he does a lot of podcasts with Kevin Smith, and he does it with Trisha Helfer, who's one of the main characters from Battlestar. And I thought, this is it. I can listen to this podcast, and then I won't have to go back and rewatch because I'll go through each episode. Every episode is of the podcast is an episode of them talking about right. an episode of the show miniseries and then there's 13 episodes in season one and then seasons two three four i think there's like 22 episodes a season so it's a fair time sink to dedicate to watching a tv show Mm -hmm. but i found five episodes into the podcast it just made me want to watch the show more so i've had a couple of sessions where i've chucked it on in the background and actually done some painting so it's helping look the the, uh the hobby progress is still the same regardless of the whether we take it via audio or visual. That's it. Um, if I didn't have that, then I might be 60% through Assassin's Creed and not a squad of stormtroopers. If they could only sync up the episode so you could pretty much run the podcast as a director's commentary, that would be the, the ultimate. It would be. It's not quite how they do it. They tend to jump around a lot. And yep. the, the last episode, the episode before the last that I had listened to, they were incredibly drunk. <laughs> and there were like three of them they had a guess why and they were just jumping all over the place it was kind of funny but didn't really have the obviously the flow of this happened and then this happened and this happened so that's helped me and Puffnet I have picked up uh, another texture paint I picked that up today from uh, Throw the Dice mm-hmm. so that'll help me with the bases for the Stormtroopers because I want to have I've got three squads and I want to have them slightly different but just have the bases different and that yeah. will help me differentiate but that's it I like it that's a lot of talking on, I need to take a breath go <laughs> on the Boba Fett I was just thinking about ways to attach flying models because I mean of course it's, you were it's <laughs> one of those it's one of those classic issues though like because so many models come with a little clear rod that is see-through so it's invisible so you can't think it bullshit we all know it's there it's it's the highlight of the model (laughs) yeah and i'm like well do i just paint it black 
or use a bit of brass rod or something and paint that black. So it's a, I find I actually find that less obvious. Um, but the other one to have a look at is I've seen a bunch of almost smoke cloud kind of deals okay. that you can get. Um, I think Armacast do a bunch that I'm assuming a thousand people do them now when 3D printers are a thing. Um, so if only I knew somebody with a 3D printer. Yeah. I talked to someone with a resin 3D printer because that would come out a lot nicer, but okay. um, it's still 100% achievable. Um, but effectively, yeah, you could then attach the backpack to smoke cloud, smoke cloud to ground mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but it comes back to whether you want a, a big smoky sort of plume. Well, or- he's, got, he's got two bits of fire. And, and somebody mentioned to me the other day, uh, Kenny did actually mention having smoke from the jetpack. The problem with the, the rod, of course, is that that goes up the side, the middle of the jetpack. Mm-hmm. And where he actually flies from is the sides. It's got yep. the, the fire on it. So Yeah, so we have to get rid of the rod completely and then replace the rod effectively with the two bits of smoke plume. You join them in the middle. And then he's, he's leaping wherever the fuck you want him to. Excellent. Um, or, as, yeah, foot in a rock is always a, a key as well. So I've worked out how to make it work with magnets so he can just levitate. <laughs> but um, I'm <laughs> sure that's... shot. It could be done, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, if you build up the base a little bit so it was jumping off a rock, but then you could do a pin from one of the rocks to, like, the back of his leg or something so it was only visible side on. Um, what if we got, like, a another sort of base and we had him attached by a wire from the top and then he could swing. I like it. Yeah. We nah, could no. almost, <laughs> if, if we got if we got five of them we could make a Newton's cradle. Excellent. Um anyway, alright. Hobby things. What have I done? Holy hell. Um when did we last record? So two weeks. Alright. It's only been two weeks. That's good. Look at us go. Wow. I'm actually really impressed. Um, I finished the puppies. That was step one. Yay. I had to get those done because we went away last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I needed those done, but that was fine. That was just a couple of nights of kind of finishing stuff off and doing all the bases for stuff. And I spent too much time gluing leaves and flower tufts onto various dogs and whatnot. You went, you went that full on. Well, yeah. I mean, your painting style is amazing. Anyone, I, th- I did post some pictures of these puppies at a certain stage. Just excuse me, I'm pouring bourbon. I need more bourbon after Priorities. today. Um, but I did post some pictures of Jason's puppies shortly before you finished Sounds up. Sounds like think. I'm just kicking around topless, but anyway. Um. Mixing bourbon. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. <laughs> no. Straight over the head. That's the sound effect. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I did post some pictures and they looked amazing, but you went full on base. Yeah. So we went and did the whole, I got the, you know, the sand, gravel, whatnot, did that, did a bunch of grass flocks and different flower tufts and whatnot. Filled the gaps in with just some static grass and then went and found some of the little autumn birch seed leaves and sprinkled those on a little bit as well. So they got the, they got the full effect. Um, and uh, as with everything, I find just doing that little black base room, that, that's the bit that just it caps it all off. It brings it all together. It's the best thing in the world. I'm not sure what you mean. Like when you... Black? You, yeah, yes. Not goblin green? Fuck me. This is why we can't have nice things. Um... <laughs> Like, in 1997, that was a great idea, when we only used primary colours according to the AV Metal Scheme. Um, but it just, it just 
brings everything together and it just finishes the model. So nice. It's great. Um, so I did that, finished them. And then funny stories that we stayed in this house, right? So there's six couples staying in a house, five puppies. Um, and we got there pretty early. So I was one of the first ones there and I'd thrown them in. I bought uh, just a, a six pack of like um, takeaway sauce containers, the little, little plastic kind of frosted semi-see-through sauce containers. So I blue tacked one to the lid and I put the top on and that kind of was traveling um, and how I got them around. And so I remembered, because I expected to be doing a fair amount of drinking, um, I pulled them all out of my suitcase and I threw them on just a shelf in the kitchen in the house in the middle of the open where everyone would likely see them. And then the house we were staying at was, the furnishing was interesting. Um, you know, for a luxury apartment, it just had some really unique design choices that we did not expect. So it got to the second night we were staying there. And after a few, few too many drinks, I wandered into the kitchen to grab another beer. And I looked up and went, that's what I've forgotten. And they were still sitting there. And no one had said anything. And no one had, you know, it hadn't come up in conversation. So I'm going, wow, you, I have the least observant friends on the face of the planet. Anyway, I've grabbed them and I've taken them into wherever I'm sitting. And they're like, oh, did, we just thought they were part of the weird decor in the house. Because it was kind of frosted and you couldn't really see what was going on. And no one had grabbed them down or looked at them. Mm-hmm. They thought they were just part of the decorations. Um, and it wasn't until, as I said, I gave them out and they cracked them open and actually had a good look. Um, fortunately... The response was relatively positive, although I feel like I disappointed somebody when I explained that on the flower tufts, I didn't paint the individual flowers. Um, you know, we're, we're behind the curtain here, but... You could have, though. I, I chose not to. Yeah, um, you let, let the team down. <laughs> anyway. Have you done... You didn't you do a, like a paint course where you could... Oh, fuck learn how me. to do right. that. This was, it was incredible. So at CanCon, which is a big gaming convention in Canberra on the Australia Day weekend every year um, that we're allowed to have conventions, um, I went to a bunch of painting workshops and basing workshops. And one of them was uh, about, you know, basing f- very much for display painting and competition painting. And Mark Soli, who ran it, the guy is a genius. Um, and incredible feedback, but also incredibly patient. And this is clearly his, you know, his hobby time is his end time. Um, and his commentary was, especially when you start upping your game to competition level and, you know, display level painting and stuff like that, the pre-made um, trees and flowers and leaves and, and everything, the problem with them is they're all the same. And if you look at the leaf on a tree, right, all the leaves aren't the same shape and color and size and everything. So if you want to control the composition to that level and you want to um, replicate reality to that level, you have to make your own. And we spent the the afternoon workshop, you know, cutting um, leaves and stuff out of um, to tobacco paper, like, and you know, making armatures out of wire and all this kind of stuff. And it was incredible. But I'm never doing it. Is the moral of the story? So. It, but it, you could have. Look, not that if my was... results from that workshop are anything to go by. <laughs> I do not have the patience. So that's where the line is drawn. Um, so and until then, you'll be using pink flower tufts from 
straws. They they're good. They are good. They're I must so say that. Good. I use the grass ones. And the little little birch seed autumn leaves, they're the best thing in the world. Um, and they come in a packet and you just glue the bastards on. And sometimes watched, they stay uh, there. I watched a Squidma uh, YouTube video the other day where he, he basically went outside to a birch tree and grabbed a whole heap and, yep. and used them on his place and it was it was really interesting. Yeah, he's actually and it that's a really good segue. So Squidmar is one of the... I totally meant that. Awesome. It just I have no idea where you're going, no, no, but no, I no. totally went Look, no, it, it, it kind of segues into this bit, and then the, it's great. Um, well played. It's one of the few really popular YouTube channels that I really like because I find some of the really sort of mainstream YouTube hobby channels are very just intense. Like mm. it's this... Big attitude, and I, I in this quiet time, and I just find the Squidmar channel. Not only does he have good content in that you, it, it's accessible. Like it, it is stuff that anyone could do and just lift their painting game to the next level. It just gives them these new ideas and stuff. And he kind of, you know, flicks between doing really high advanced, you know, non-metallic metals. Then he just goes back to basics and goes, "This is, you know, how I throw paint on model kind of deal." But I actually find him really calm to listen to, and it's not like he's just shouting hobby things at me. Like, he, does, he does seem very, very relaxed, very... Yeah, it's like talking to happy. a real person. Yeah, mm. and he's so enthusiastic, and I, I kind of really like that. Um, so he's, that's one of the channels I subscribe to and just have on while I'm painting and stuff a lot, just or you know pretending to work from home. Um, because I, I do, and not only that, I actually really enjoy his the way he approaches a lot of painting with colour and stuff. Um, and where this segues really well is I was watching his video the other day around, he had a bunch of 3D printed terrain laying around and he goes, it's been sitting here for ages. I kind of just need to get it painted. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a game of Shadespire. It was kind of all the little objective markers yep. and stuff okay, for Shadespire. Gotcha. He goes, so I just want to get it painted um, and get it done. So I'm going to give myself an hour and see what I can do. But he... I find he actually uses colour really interestingly. He doesn't do the standard. I prime it black. It's a rock, so I paint it grey. He goes, uh, with the rocks, for example, he goes, I had a wet palette that had a whole bunch of colours on it from when I was painting something else, and I just painted the rocks random combinations of those colours and then dry brushed over the top um, with whatever colour he wanted the rocks to be, and it just gives it a little bit more interest. And I'm a big fan of using colour and shadows and stuff for interest. Um, so where this segues is my primary purchase for this fortnight um, was the Warcry starter set, which mm-hmm. I had been... Um, You've been contemplating that for a while. For so long. And it was one of those things going, all right, I want, I want to be able to play Warcry. I want enough stuff that I can play Warcry. So my options are here. I go and buy the starter set which has the book and the terrain and a couple of crews that I don't actually want um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Or I go away and I buy the rule book separately and I buy another terrain kit separately and then I buy all the different cards that you need to, to generate battles and stuff. And I was umming and ahhing and toing and froing and my problem is is I find that the the terrain in the starter set is actually really good and it's probably better than all of the other terrain sets that they've released so far for the game. It looks amazing. And 
looks like there's there's just so much variety and yeah. different ways you can do it. Yeah, it, it they've done it. So it was a big investment. That being said, I started working out if I add up all the bits I need separately, it's not actually that different. And then if I can justify it to myself by saying that I'll sell off a couple of the crews or the the two starter crews, um, which might happen. Um, it, it might not, but it probably could. Um, and if only you had somebody saying in your ear, oh, I think you should probably buy it. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of the other guys are already playing who weren't able to pick one up said, oh, I really wish I had have just bought the starter set instead of doing this and whatnot. So we ended up biting the bullet and ordering one from Guff and they had it in like three days, um, which I didn't think, I actually didn't think I was going to get one. Impressive. Um, three days, you say? Yeah, <laughs> they were they were on board. I don't know whether it was just the right timing mm-hmm. that it happened to be just, you know, Games Workshop Auto Week or something, but it was here quick. Um, they didn't know whether it was coming until it showed up, but it showed up and now I own one. Um, so I, in a bid to play some Warcry, went, right, well, the thing I really need to do is get this terrain not plastic um, or not looking like plastic. So that's all basically the rest of the hobby I've done for the last week. Um, I punched out all the the terrain and we assembled that. Um, as an aside note for anyone looking to do that, there's a couple of websites that tell you how to do it because the Games Workshop Construction do not tell you how to do it. So when you generate the terrain, if you're following the cards, you have all the options available. So that seems a bit odd. Yeah, the the instructions. That's the whole idea, isn't it? Well, the yes. instructions say assemble it however you want. Um, Yay, party time! So, which is great, but if you want to actually use the terrain generating cards, they've assumed that you've assembled it in a certain way, which also uses all of the pieces mm. in the terrain kit exactly. So it's very efficient as well. Yeah. Either way, quick Google search, you'll find that. I can't remember what the website is, but. Go look for it if you're going to assemble that terrain. Moral of the story. And then, so it was two nights of assembling all that and stabbing myself with little spiky barricades numerous times while trying to clean off the the um, little tags from where I clipped it from the sprue. And then, so far, another two nights painting. Um, and I took a very... I've decided that terrain is also the other thing that you can paint with zero fear about screwing it up because it's allowed to be rough and it's allowed to be a little bit different. It's not really the focus of the game. Um, so you can try shit and hope. Um, and you tried stuff. So I tried stuff. So basically taking you know a lead from the, the Squid Mama video that I talked about earlier about painting terrain quickly, I sprayed everything that was going to be rock with the airbrush, a bright pinky magenta um so all the stonework and everything was was this bright kind of uh vallejo warlord purple warlock purple one of the two mm-hmm. there's a games workshop color that's warlock purple i think so or there was before they changed all the names of stuff um so vallejo in there um called it warlord purple yeah um so it was that and then anything that was wood i sprayed um green so, again, the layer is sick green from memory, which is probably another ripoff of a Games Workshop colour. Um, they have, like, a foul green, I think. 
So, um, much to my disgust, you just you didn't leave it pink. No, it didn't stay pink. Um, and this is kind of the other. So from there, I took a big old dry brush. Um, and for anyone playing at home, forget buying games, you know, hobby specific brushes for dry brush. You've wasted your time, effort, and money. Um, reject shop dollar store whatever um i think i got these from wish in like a 10 pack um makeup brushes they're great they're the best thing in the world for dry brushing if you want to dry brush things that's what you want um and i dry brushed it over directly over the pink magenta um went blue and then i just started mixing in some pale flesh and then just progressively lighter a couple of shades and that was pretty much done and then for the wood over the green, we just started, I went pretty boring and found some browns and again, just mixed in the pale flesh a little bit until it was almost just a, a straight pale flesh highlight. I'll go back at some stage and I'll do some metals. I'll probably hit that with a sponge with some orange um, to give it some rust or some pigment or something. And I might darken some shadows and I'm probably going to call it done. Um, it's looking amazing so far. So and even what what I saw, I think Thursday, and, and you did more work on it on Friday. Yeah. So when we played on it, I hadn't done any of the wood. A spoiler alert: we played Warcry. Yeah, we totally played a game of that. Um, yeah. When we played, I hadn't done any of the wood, so that was still green. Um, so I did that the following night or something, and then uh, as I said, I'll go back in and I'll just finish some metals and touch up and maybe throw some black ink or something in the shadows just mm-hmm. to deepen them a little bit and call it done um but that i'm expecting will be a grand total of three nights painting maybe six hours okay which um, is not too bad and for the amount of scenery that that box has which is quite substantial that's yeah. pretty good and i mean people go back and they could do all the little skulls and skeletons and stuff mm-hmm. i'm just lazy um yeah and again it's scenery you don't have to spend hours doing... It doesn't need doing... to be the focus. No. If it takes away from the game or the models, it's probably done too much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, stop overachieving and get your models painted. Um, but that's pretty much been my hobby mm. that hasn't been playing games. So, we did play. We played Warcry, obviously, and today's episode is all about that game. This was a game that I've been looking at for quite some time and finally decided on a warband and picked that up. I ordered that, I actually ordered it through Facebook because I think at the time, it was one of the starter yep. warbands and I'm not sure if they were released at the time that I got it. Either way, you're picking it up at Facebook at like half but, the price. Yeah, so... I'd picked this up a while ago. I'd painted it up a while ago as well, which is unusual for me. But at the same time, it was eight models. So I think it took me two or three nights. Yeah. I did the very quick contrast route with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I picked up the Iron Golems. So they're a Sada set with lots of armor. Uh, and I basically undercoated them silver. And I did contrast over the top and the, I think it's a, I mean, it's meant to be like a sand or a snake, I think it's snake bite leather actually. No, it's a dunes colour. I did the dunes colour 
over the top of the silver, and that turns out sort of goldish. Mm-hmm. And then I did a, a red contrast for the armor, and because of the silver, obviously, it's nice and shiny, and I finished up with Gracia and like an Agrax wash for the skin. And it was very basic. I, I had a look at a couple of things on YouTube to try and get some ideas, and I got them knocked out in like two or three nights, which for me is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And the bases I played around with, I did some... I basically covered the whole base with... Uh, I think it was just straight actually on top of the, the undercoat. But I did Blood for the Blood God. All over the all over the top of the base, I put some little bubble type stickers that uh, made of ours got from like Lingraft or something like eBay that. Lingraft somewhere, yeah, and uh, painted them up in Blood for the Blood God as well, so that it looked like blood bubbles, and then just did black. Uh, black crackle paint over the top, so so only like various bits of the blood was showing, and and it gave me. I'm really happy with how they turned out, especially for for my style of painting and for what I'm you know, capable of. As I you know, keep going and keep yeah. trying to get better, they? but they they I'm really happy with them. They came up a treat, even from the the photo that we posted. Um, Yesterday, I was catching up with a couple of friends at Silver, and they said, "Oh, you know, the the iron golems in that photo looked really cool." And just and so just the idea of the the blood basing, which just ties them all together brilliantly, yep. but it's just something so different. Um, and I didn't know those little little bubble sticker situations, and they're literally like a little bubble. It was so easy. I I was trying to before my mate said he had them. I was making trying to make bubbles out of green stuff, which is how I've always done it, and, and they weren't. Overly circular. No, you, you kind of take a very impressionistic view of a bubble. Um, you know, you, I've always, every time I've had a, a bit of leftover green stuff, just rolled it into a ball, knowing that I'll cut it in half later and mm-hmm. and deal, make some bubbles for something. But these are so much nicer. Yep. Um, Couple of stickers on a base, um, and I didn't overkill. I tried not to overkill. I think put like three on some bases, but none on others. And just the the red blood showing through the black crackle just just really yep. worked for me. Nailed it. Um, so we played some Warcry. We did. What is Warcry for those people playing at home? Um, I suppose we should. So, is it Age of Sigma kill it team? Is, it is kind of. Um, sure, that'll do. In that skirmish game. So again, we're talking what ten to fifteen models mm-hmm. max. Um, aside, I think it is literally a 15 model maximum for, for crews. Um, the whole concept is, all right, if we get to Age of Sigmar lore really quickly, um, after they destroyed the old world and made it shit, um, effectively, so what happened is they blew it up and you've got all these little realms connected by these gateways or portals or, or realm gates or whatever the hell they want to call them. So in the middle of that, you've got this realm um, called the Eight Points, which is basically where Archeon, um built his big-ass fortress. And that's kind of, you know, mecca for anyone bad. Um, this is all new to me, because I still remember this is... I've never played Age of Sigma. I played one game of Warhammer Fantasy way back in the day, uh, but my army of choice would have been Skaven, and I am not buying 700 models for Good a 500-point army. 
Uh, but I still remember, especially from way back when playing fantasy roleplay, Warhammer fantasy roleplay, the old world was Europe. Yes. It was pretty much Europe and it was pretty just much a the deal. different version. And actually you'll appreciate as far as Skaven things go, if you read the End Times novels that they released right before they mm-hmm. destroyed Warhammer, the Warhammer world. Um, I have to. I have the Nurgle one and I do have the Skaven one. The Nurgle one's the one I'm thinking of where they start. Yeah, I know maybe it's Skaven. Either way. Um, the dialogue in it for the Skaven is amazing. Yes. Um, step one. And it's just this great idea of them with this total, you know, under empire and they really get a sense of that and then how destructive they can be, A, to themselves and B, everyone else. Um, regardless, we're in this realm world thing connected by weird portal shit. Um, eight points, which is Archon's little, little chaos mecha. And you've basically got all these, um, different factions effectively and, Working off the starter set and the the base or the the models they've released specifically for it, the idea is is each of them is from one of the each of the the realm of fire and the realm of light and the realm of shadow and all that mm-hmm. kind of shit. Um, there's kind of one faction from each of them journeying to the eight points to kind of become Archeon's favorite or whatever. So it's all, I mean, all the base crews that you can get generally until they release their um. Uh, Space Marine Stormcast yep. and Nighthaunt, but they're all Chaos Warbands of various yeah. different... So the concept is is it is these Chaos Warbands vying for supremacy, um, and then they realised that they could cross-sell stuff. So they started saying that you know even the eight points has dead shit, so it has spirits. Mm-hmm. And you know it probably has some stuff that stormcast want so they start trying to sneak in and gave her everywhere and, and goblins did the same thing so they just kind of let everybody in at some stage um so i had a quick look i think there's around about 18 crew sets that yeah. you can get through gw these days uh each one's no sorry 12 12 i'm reading my notes wrong second bourbon uh i better get on to the third so the 12 crews they're about 84 bucks by GW, uh, so it's not too bad for a full crew. Generally, that's about a thousand points, which is what mm-hmm. you play with. Yep. And there are card sets that you can get for. Yeah. So if you already own, those. if you already own a bunch of models for Age of Sigmar, or, you know, something similar, you can just go and get the card set that represents those models, and all of a sudden you can play that warband in Warcry as well. Um. So, a couple of things that probably separate. Warcry from a lot of the other games is um, first and foremost, I really like the way they manage terrain and movement. Mm-hmm. In that, it is that kind of skirmish style game where you've got verticality and you've got stuff climbing up terrain, falling off terrain, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it doesn't get in the way. It didn't seem to be complicated. No. Stuff is climbable, so you just measure the distance up and then you climb it. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. If you fall off stuff, you might take damage. You might not. Um, and you can jump. Yeah. You can literally leap whatever your movement is. That's as far as you can jump, um, which means you can start leaping from rooftop to rooftop and all kinds of stuff, even if you're a dwarf. Um, I think I did that. Too. I'm reasonably sure that <laughs> happened. So it's, it's this really kind of 
simple but effective movement thing where the, the terrain doesn't get in the way. You don't have these really awkward, oh, can I, can't I, what if I move here and wheel three inches and divide by pi? Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah. just doesn't exist. Um, the base mechanic, again, dice mechanic, but you roll attacks. If I'm stronger than you, I hit on threes. If I'm as equal, strong as you are tough, then I'm hitting on fours. If you're tougher than I am strong, I'm hitting on fives. That's it. That's the math. Um, I roll as many dice as I have on my stat card, and if I get the, the thing, you take damage. On a critical hit, which is always a six for everyone, all the time, um, you take more damage. It's a number that's written on the stat card. So that's kind of the base mechanic. The games are very objective-based, so they're short. They're, you know, three turns, four turns max kind of deal. I think I have played a five-turn game, but, you know, you're still only, you know, you've got change from an hour kind of deal Um, because stuff is dead by that time, so a turn doesn't take too long. That was the thing that caught me too is this game that we played on Thursday. We played three turns. Yep. And it was over. Yep. Like, And it wasn't... You know, I didn't feel unsatisfied at the end, but at the same time, it was that that took a lot less time than I expected it to. Yeah, for, for, so it, it kind of does lend itself to multiple games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, night like when you're busting busting one out in half an hour or forty minutes or something, um, all of a sudden it's you know quite feasible to play a couple in. Um, their way of generating games is kind of funky in that you get these deck of cards so when you start a game you flip it it tells you how to set out the terrain now you can completely ignore that it does not make a lick of difference if you don't have any of the terrain specifically just set it up so it looks cool um but it gives you another element of randomness that doesn't favor anyone and that fact that the the terrain can be pre-generated means that especially for for me like with when we were playing Malifaux here the other night I pre-set up everything so that was good to go when you got here and the, the amount of thought I had to put into the train to make sure that everything seemed um, not favouring one side or another I, I think for for the actual game that we played for the podcast I made everything symmetrical Yeah, because I figured you know, symmetry means that nobody's disadvantaged or advantaged mm-hmm. But that's but, what happens to that 40k, you know, world championship, yep. or whatever, where they just used polystyrene bits of box yep. or whatever it was. So everything was symmetrical. Um, but yeah, this, this gives you a, a literally, you know, completely unbiased third party um, to do it. it. Then you get uh, deployment zones generated randomly. Mm-hmm. So they change every game. The objective is generated from a different card deck. And then you get a twist deck as well. And that is just random stuff that's different for this game and it's everything from um you know if people get injured they're stronger to random beasts show up and start attacking people um all kinds of stuff from that twist deck just as a, a, an extra kind of thing random motivators yeah and it was it was interesting how how it used those those four packs of cards to to basically generate the game and it's only played on a 22 by 30 board. Yeah, so it's tiny. So it's not that big. So you, we were into combat pretty quickly, and you know, which we'd need to be if it's a three-turn game. Yeah. Um, so 
I find that really cool. And then the last thing that really kind of sets Warcry apart from all the other games is this concept of the ability, and not all the games because there are other games that have similar things, but um, the ability board for each of the crews. So there's a generic one, but each crew gets their own funky ability board. And basically at the start of every turn, you roll six dice um, and you get a wild dice. Mm -hmm. And and instead of looking for a specific number or anything, you're basically looking for doubles and triples and, and quads of the same dice you might have a double two and a triple four and a single or you know a a triple this and three singles or something Mm -hmm. like that and you start grouping them and then in your your ability board you can spend one of those groupings so you could spend a double or you could spend a triple to get an extra ability for one model during your turn so there's these extra funky abilities that things can do um, as long as you remember to do it. That's, I did forget in turn two. I'm like, oh, that's right. I wanted to use this double with this guy. And then by the end of the turn, of course, those dice are gone and you're rolling six more dice. And start it again. Yeah. And then the other flip side to that is, so singles do nothing as far as the game is concerned, but the person with the most singles gets to choose who goes first each turn. So there's also a benefit to not having the most available abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of resource control and, you know, do I want an extra ability or do I want to go first and how am I going to manage my dice becomes a thing. Um, and that's kind of fun as well. It was a really interesting mechanic and really quick to pick up too. I mean, rolling the six dice, you get one wild dice per turn, which you can add to anything, uh, but you don't need to use it. So you could put it aside for turn two and then turn two, you've got two wild dice. But rolling six dice at the start and and just looking for singles, doubles, triples, quads if you're lucky, which I don't think either of us did no. manage. But having that, that six dice original is very quick to pick up. And having the benefits from the doubles and the singles, but also that you know, the singles is your initiative and... I think quite two or three of the the turns actually that we played, you were getting more doubles than I was and more triples, but I was getting singles, so I was getting to move first yeah. if I want if that's what I wanted. Which, when you're in base space contact with people, is not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, when potentially you can start deleting models or, or you're hitting objectives and stuff with your first activation, that becomes just as important as having an ability to let you do something else later in the turn. Exactly. Um, and I think that's probably the the two other things that really attract me to this game is how simple it is to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be hard to get other people into it and into just playing games and competent. Um, so, you know, it's not a massive learning curve by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like after a game you kind of have enough to go and and play Mm. i mean i'd only played you know maybe two or three games max before i started showing other people how to play so apologies for all the stuff i got wrong um and then the second half of that is from the moment they introduced the game they said right well you can just play open just just play some games with your mates that's option one option two is here is like a matched tournament style system that who gives shit about and then here's a campaign here's a narrative format that you can follow um it's not you know as in-depth as some of the other games cough mordheim um that you know, doesn't need to be 
No, it doesn't. In this case, it's just enough that you get a little bit of progression or abilities or skills and stuff where you can start tweaking your, your roster. So effectively, you can start hiring extra models. You can still only field a 1,000 each game, but you might have more to choose from, for example. So, um, and then they brought out the monsters and mercenaries where you can start getting allies and other stuff into crews. But realistically, um, just having that ability for a little bit of, you know, Blood Bowl style or Mordheim style or Necromunda style progression um, on a, in a crew and start watching them um, get a little bit better and getting attached to models as they do cool stuff in game, that, that really scratches niche. So... That was kind of the last thing that that's nail in the coffin, right? I mean, let's let's start playing games. Yeah. So if we go to the game we played, obviously, as we said, three turns. Turn one, the, the, this, the idea for our game was treasure. Yes. We had four treasure tokens on the map. Uh, they had to be played on scenery. Yeah, so it had to be up on a platform. Um, and we basically placed two each. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the concept is that at the end of the, the three or four turns or whatever we played, um, whoever had the most treasure wins. So, fairly fairly easy to pick up. So, turn one, I have two lines for my, my little game report here. Mm-hmm. Lots of moving. Yes. So, we moved around a lot, and I think in turn one, both of us picked up to the two markers each. Yeah, it was, it was pretty close to that. So, And it was just kind of luck of the draw. And this is probably the other thing of the game that I like... In that, the same reason I like Blood Bowl. When I when I play Blood Bowl, and you know that will be another cast for another day. <laughs> you are playing against two people. You are playing against the person you are playing against, and you are playing against Blood Bowl because the game hates you. Um, <laughs> with Warcry, because you are using these random objectives and random um, uh, objective and deployment. That's the word I am mm-hmm. looking for. Um, occasionally, you just get screwed. Um, but in our game, look, it was relatively even, but what it meant is that we were 
pretty far apart from that turn one. Um, so turn one was literally just run and knowing that A, we had to pick up the treasure and B, we probably want to stab someone at some stage. Yes. Um, I so, think... The, yeah, we ended up all meeting in the middle. Yeah, I think, you know, I threw I threw some snakes at you. Yeah, turn your, one. your snakes came towards me. My One of my guys has like a range thing. He's got some bowlers and he did two damage to your snake and I think that was the extent of combat in turn one. Yep. Um Turn two, that's where it got a bit interesting. So by turn one, like I said, we had two treasure things each, my leader and my drill master. I'm actually going to look at the names for this, but the uh, drill master, she's a chick with a a big morning star and a a hammer, basically. They managed to pick up my two treasures. Yep, and I kind of fobbed mine off to one of my little pleb guys, one of the clear bloods and one of my and I totally remember the name of these guys. Oh shit. Another elf. Yeah. Um he grabbed one, he climbed up a, a you know, bit of terrain and, and nabbed that and then they kind of ran away for the rest of the game, so I guaranteed holding yes. them. Um, I tried to get in with one of my guys to but you had both of your guys with the things together and then there were other guys heading towards me and it got very interesting. So, yeah, turn two, that's when we started hammering into each other a bit. So my bolus guy, I think, went first and did another four damage to your snake. Um, then with my standard bearer, I managed to give toughness to everyone within six inches, which by sheer luck and placement was... Everyone. Seven of the eight guys yeah. in my team. Um, and then it, we got our leaders together. Yeah, so uh, knowing full well that the only way I could possibly win this game was to get another treasure off, unfortunately, two of the toughest guys in your crew that weren't an ogre. Um, <laughs> I'm like, right, well, I just have to throw everything I possibly have into your leader. So my leader ran at yours, and he had some friends kind of follow him and back him up. Yep. And I just started throwing guy after guy. So, yeah, your leader did straight into mine and did two damage. And then... Go, you good thing. Yep, my leader turned around and did 11 damage back to you. And I thought, here we go. This looks good for me. And then your other dude did 10 damage right back into me. So, I was behind already. Uh, I did manage to, in turn two, I took out your snake, though. Yeah. And my ogre met in the middle with a couple of your guys and just hammered into a, to one of <laughs> it was your shield bearers. the best thing in the world. I put two guys in the middle and we basically had like these kind of you know, fortifications in the middle that kind of choked up the board a little bit. So I put two guys there going, right, well, they're just going to stand there and they're going to get hit a bit, but they're just going to stop your guys doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I have some guys try and kill your leader. Um, and this ogre breacher just walks up to them and just played whack-a-mole. He literally, one guy stuck his head up, you're right, right, well, you're dead. And then the next guy, your next turn, he, you know, stuck his head up and he went, now you're dead. So my, my crew has eight guys, yours had ten. Yeah. Um, and of that, my ogre is worth almost a quarter of the points. And when he got into combat, he was well worth those points because he does like twice as much damage as anybody else on the rest of my team. Well, I mean, and and for context, so one of my little plebby guys, of which I was running three of, um, have 10 wounds. So, you know, and that kind of gives you, you know, you you probably have somewhere between 8 and 30 wounds on a guy depending on how important they are. Um, So my little plebby guys had 10 wounds and the Ogre Breacher gets two attacks... 
Two attacks. Six strength, so he's hitting most things on a three. Everything on a three. And his normal attacks do four damage, and crits do eight. Yeah. So if if he hits on a three with both his attacks, just normally, he's doing eight damage, so he's nearly killing a guy. If he rolls one critical, they're, they're cactus. It's, you know, that and a hit, a six and a three murders any one of my guys without and he just did that twice just went pop you're dead pop you're dead who's next um by this time from memory because i didn't make notes <laughs> i did oh, notice that i was the only one writing things down, yeah no that's... for the week i i've also brought notes along tonight and i see you just you've got a computer yeah you, you look professional. You've got all the podcasting equipment. All right. Uh, there are notes in here, really. I promise. There I are not. You. There are not notes on here. Um, but I'd managed to murder your leader at this point in time. Turn three. Turn three. So, turn three, what happened is I, again, was not rolling the best, but I was getting more singles than you were. So, I got initiative on turn three, and my leader turned around and killed your leader. Rude. And you're, you had two other guys, though, yep. standing right next to him. And I got one down to one and one down to five, and they just turned around and just yeah. killed off my leader, which dropped his token. Yes. So the way this plays out is when you die, or within, when you use an action to choose to, it turns out, um, you can drop your treasure. And you drop your treasure within an inch of the guy who's holding it. But the person, you know, it's your leader. You get to choose who drops it. So he drops the, the treasure, and I'm like, right, I need to just get near this treasure, pick that up, and, and we're home and hosed. Um, but the way it plays out is, it, it, and as we were saying before with the, the terrain rules, it's really unintrusive. So most stuff is climbable, and to climb something, you measure the distance up, and that is your, how you climb. Um, after this ogre breacher had finished playing whack-a-mole, with my, my two little guys holding the middle, just, just tying him right up. He's, you know, his four movement or whatever it is. Yep. He was standing next to a wall. And at the top of that wall was a treasure token. And he looked up and he saw that little treasure token. And he went, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get that treasure. And <laughs> something shiny. Um, so, I was probably... I probably succumb to what I usually do with these sort of games. Metable. I kind of forget what the objective yeah. is, and I like to kill stuff. So, at that point, you're, you'd, you'd, you'd stuck your two guys in the middle. I'd killed one elf in turn two. I had two guys standing there, and I'm like, well, the ogre's got yeah. big-ass hit. He's going to have a swipe. So, in Kill Team, everything gets two activations. And this is something I forgot to mention, but... Uh, kill team. Uh, sorry, what are we talking? Kill Warcry. team. Warcry. What are we playing? The other one. Fantasy kill Give game. Give me more bourbon. Uh, in Warcry, you're alternating turns. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. You're it, not sitting there waiting for for your opponent to finish all their guys. There is nothing worse than playing a game where you go, all right, well, you're going to do stuff. I'm just going to go to the bar and take a piss and, you know, write a novel and come back and then maybe have my turn. You are engaged the whole time, and that, you know, I activate a model, you activate a model is key. Yeah. So, at this point, your second guy was still sitting in the middle. I had two guys there, but I thought, right, well, the ogre hits harder, so I'm going to hit this guy. I've got two activations to kill him, no problems. And I rolled my two dice, and I got a, a crit and a normal hit, yep. and just demolished just him in one. Red paste. And then I thought to myself, I'm supposed to be getting these tokens. There's one directly above him. <laughs> he just jumps up and picks it up. Yeah. 
and suddenly you've got a 30 wound, you know, untouched model holding this bit of treasure just going, uh Um, In the last turn of the game. (laughs) And I had nothing that could possibly touch him anywhere near um, after I'd spent a whole bunch of activations trying to kill your leader who was holding it in the first turn. Um, So... That's how we ended. That's kind of how it... I mean, we, we kind of threw some models at each other and rolled some dice and, and did some stuff. But yeah, realistically... But by that stage, the right-hand side... Or my right-hand side, your left-hand side of the board had kind of finished their, all their activations. Yeah. I had still... My Jewel Master and now my Ogre had a, a token. On the left-hand side, your guys... Your two guys had run off with tokens and then there were just plebs. Yeah. A couple of plebs in the middle. And so they whacked each other a bit and, and had a bit of fun, but nothing that was going to change no, anything. The game, the game was kind of locked from that point in time. So we ended up with, what, two bits of treasure each in an absolute draw. Um, Which is a great way to start, in yeah. my eyes. Nothing yeah. better than, you know, a close fought game for your intro game. I mean, this is this is my second game. I'll preface it. Uh, I'll say that, but I did get a quick intro game at GW quite a while ago. So this is... None of that had stuck in my head. I knew that there was dice. I knew there were doubles and triples and stuff and that they did stuff, but I couldn't remember anything else. So to to have a a draw is is a good result for me. Yeah. And... So, I mean, as I said, that that basically, as just a standard one, one alone, you know, standalone game, that's that's how it plays out. Um, probably next next step for me, and, and where the game got a little bit interesting, and this is where, um, so yesterday now, so the following weekend, I managed to sneak away for half a day and get a couple of games against some mates up in Western Melbourne, um, not in lockdown suburbs, and. You know, it, it, what we were basically doing is the the campaign version of the game. And the really cool thing I found with the campaign version of the game is it actually doesn't matter what the other person is doing, whether they want to play campaigns or they don't, or they okay. anything. You can basically just roll up, use your crew from the campaign, and track your own progress to your objectives. So if you were, say, a couple of games into your campaign, and yep. some guys had leveled up or however they want to do it are you at a distinct advantage of your opponent or is not overly so i mean if you're all playing campaigns it, it's a little bit easier in that a couple of games in you can start getting either artifacts or abilities that might give you a, a one-off in-game okay. bonus or thing you could completely forgo those and just skip on mm-hmm. um and then the other part of the campaign piece is um I mean, you can start You start with a, a set roster and you can start hiring extra guys in and then you can still only field a maximum of, you know, your thousand points or whatever, but you've suddenly got some guys to pick and choose from. Okay. Um, and then the, the other half of that is throughout the campaign sort of. So you play one game, you play two games, and your third game is what they call a convergence, and it's basically a set scenario mm-hmm. um, for the person playing the campaign. But that's it. Like, it just sets out the the objective for the game and how the terrain is set up or anything like that. So you could play that, you know, convergence game for your campaign against somebody not even playing in the campaign and it wouldn't make a lick of difference. You'd mm-hmm. still get to play a game. It'd still be pretty even. Um, it just it is a, a preset objective. So 
Yeah, it, and that's probably the piece. It, it it gives you a little bit of progression and a little bit of you know a little bit of skills and and different stuff like that. But it doesn't. You, you don't have that situation that you have in you know you old. I don't know what new Necromunda is like, um, but you know old Necromunda or Mordheimer, a lot of those really heavy progression things or in Blood Bowl where you've suddenly got you know my team value is so much above yours that you don't have a hope even with a thousand point you know gold yep. coins of inducements that kind of thing it, it's nowhere near that d- deep or it doesn't give you that much of a buff um, so we literally just rolled dice against each other and all tracked our own campaigns and did stuff and I got an extra couple of games in which was really cool mm-hmm. got to see a couple of the non-core warbands in operation which was really cool so uh Pip was playing the night haunt um uh, Munro was rocking the slanish demons um which are basically demonettes and fiends and mm-hmm. and variations of and then Dan was rocking Nurgle mortals um and all of them played very much how I'd expect, which was kind of the fun bit. Um, the Slanish guys were really, you know, fast and choppy, but didn't, you know, really stay up yep. to a stiff breeze. The Nurgle guys were a wall of death that I just threw my dudes against. Um, basically, I played my convergence game against the Nurgle. And the whole objective for this was for me to hold an objective. I start with it at the start of the mm-hmm. game. And as long as I don't let his ne- dudes near it, I win. Okay. Um, so he rocks up and he's got two of the big uh, plague fly critters mm-hmm. and like three other dudes. And they just slowly trudged across the board and I just threw my guys against them <laughs> to, to try and hold them up. And again, they just played whack-a-mole and just deleted <laughs> guys one after another. Um, but, you know, we eventually managed to keep them away for long enough to, to score some points and, and win that one. But, um, yeah. They, was there a cost before you guys dying? Well, yeah. So, and there's the other piece of the campaign, which is kind of fun, is anyone who doesn't survive rolls on an injury table. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they're not necessarily dead. They can be dead. Um, but you can pick up things like um, a cracked wi- rib, um, which is neg one toughness, um, which is not okay. great. No. And then it can be temporary or it can be permanent. Okay. And then a, a temporary one, basically, you roll after each game and if you get a four plus, the, the injury goes away. Mm-hmm. You recover from it. Um, you, I picked up a guy with a gut wound and a gut wound halves your wounds. Yeah, so not great. Um, can you can, then fire that person? And you could you could choose to, but you uh, have limited. If you're playing in the campaign, you've got limited resources to hire okay. guys as well. So you need to accumulate uh, glory to spend on extra fighters. So that becomes a thing. Um, so sometimes you just throw a guy in with five wounds and hope. Um, that he yeah, meat shields for a little bit. Yeah, he does something for a turn, um, and then you hope it's temporary and you recover next turn. <laughs> um, that guy now has two gut wounds. Oh, good. So he's on <laughs> he's on three wounds. Um, so, and that's kind of the fun of it. But um, yeah, so a couple of games, just watching how all the different um, the crews play. I said nothing felt stupid or ridiculous. I mean, no one was playing. Sigmarine, so I suppose that's why. Um, but it was, yeah, no, good fun. I said, extra couple of games and just got a little bit more of how the campaign plays out and, and how that works. So that was, that's kind of next steps, I think. Excellent. So, pros and cons of the game, how do you feel all up? 
especially I, now you've made the financial investment. Well, yeah, so I'm invested, so the game is good. Um, <laughs> no, pros for me, I, firstly, the limited mental capacity and the limited time frame required mm-hmm. and the limited dollar spend, really. Um, it's easy to get into, it's easy to understand the game, and it's easy to you know, get games in because you're not spending three hours playing a game of something with a thousand models to carry around. Mm-hmm. So all of those things make it a really easy entrance cost. Um, as far as base mechanics, it is part of that is just they don't get in the way. It doesn't feel like you, you're really struggling to understand how the rules work or why they would work. They kind of just, they're there to facilitate a game and that's exactly what they do. They don't get in the way where you're starting to play really, and it could just that I don't understand them properly yet, but there didn't seem to be those finicky, oh, the rules say if I move in exactly this position, I stand here, you can't see me, but I can see you. And it. I think... During the course of the game, I asked you to check one thing in the book, and that was the only time we opened the book after yeah. we started. And I mean, I can't even remember what that is. Yeah, but you know, little things like cover. How does cover work? Can I hit you if I'm standing on the ground and you're standing on a platform above me? That kind of stuff um, took a little bit to to just go. All right, how does it work in this game? But it wasn't complex. It didn't mm-hmm. not make sense. Um, so they were kind of my first impressions of why it was good. The models are nice. Like I bought the models because I wanted to paint them. There are more models that I want to paint that I'll probably end up buying. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are some definite different pros. And, that you know, I'm a sucker for terrain. Scenery, scenery is my Achilles heel. I have backed way too many Kickstarters I've never, you know, 3D printed stuff for. Um so when yeah, pretty box of terrain came out, that was mm-hmm. that was a killer as well. So I don't know. How did you find pros? Let's do that first. All right, pros. Um, very quick, simple games, which I loved. I liked that how how much fun I had for you know a short amount of time and a short amount of setup and trying to you know explain for you to explain how it played didn't take very long and then all of a sudden we're playing and then all of a sudden we're finished and it was nice and easy and we could have very easily played two or three more games that night up uh, until that point you sounded like my wife but anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the other thing was alter- alternating turns is a big thing for me mm-hmm. so so overall in favour of those points yep any cons for you? cons I suppose cons for me and look I know it makes sense but so there's been two expansions since then there's been the time of champions and the monsters mercenaries mm-hmm. all bring good things to the game but all also bring two extra books that you need to now and uh time of champions erratas a couple of things in the yep. the first book and that kind of stuff so you start needing to invest in however much the books are i haven't even looked they're like 60 bucks a piece or the pdf equivalents um to get all of the rules, mm-hmm. um, that's annoying. I think I get why they've introduced all of the Age of Sigma armies mm-hmm. into it, but I think it sucks some of the flavor out. Like yep. it was this really focused game they on. They pitched it as a, a Chaos Warband game. Yeah. And I mean, exactly what it is. It makes 100% sense. And I know, like, 
rationally. I can see why mm-hmm. and I can see how they've justified it, but it just dilutes it a little bit. Um, that being said, all the games against the, the non-core warbands were, were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things going, oh, I feel like you've you've just sucked a little bit of the soul out of the game. Um, so I suppose that's a, you know, that is a con. It's not the the in-depth tactical, you know, campaign system or even just a game that you'll get in, you know, if, you, if you've played more time, it's not that. If you've played, you know, and again, I can't comprehend, on modern Necromunda, but classic Necromunda, it's not that. Um, you don't get that level of, you know, territories and abilities and R and skills and injury. It gives you a little bit. It gives you enough to keep you interested, but nowhere near what a lot of those games used to bring. Um, Which can be a pro and a con. Completely. On how you want to look at it. But it's just one of those things, I think, when, you know, they brought out from memory, I think Kill Team came before Necromunda. Sounds like something they would do. And everybody who ever played Necromunda went, oh, they're going to release, yeah, it's going to be 40k Necromunda. It's going to be the best yeah. thing in the world. And it never was. Um, it was just kind of skirmish 40k with a little bit. It's it's more like that. That's not a bad thing necessarily, but you just need to know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Um, and apart from that, as I said, my... The, the biggest choice for me was, do I go and buy the starter box, which is pretty hard to get now, mm-hmm. with just, you know, right place, right time. I was relatively lucky because um, it's a really good value because the the extra terrain sets they've brought out are just a little bit less good. And what card body are they? Oh, no, they've done, they've they done plastic terrain plastic? for all of them. So, they've done, and it's, you well, know, a board and a terrain and stuff, but... And it's probably the piece with this. So there's some, even in the starter set, there's a couple of little pieces, little fountains or scatter terrain and stuff. The effect of this terrain on the game is literally nothing. You can walk over it, you can stand on it, it doesn't affect movement, it doesn't, you know, affect line of sight. It has no impact. And I feel like some of the other terrain that you get in other boxes is more of that than. You get a lot of verticality and some, you know, blocking terrain and some interesting stuff. Um, probably the exception to that is the the mausoleum, which is one of the oldest terrain kits around, repackaged, mm-hmm. which is gorgeous and everyone should buy. Um, but you know, for the the I've terrain, I've owning bought, one of those so many times. <laughs> I, I've never bit the bullet, but I've looked at it so many times. Yeah. It's, such a nice nice kit but um yeah the ones they've kind of made specifically for it i i looked at and i just went oh they're just a little bit shitter um so you know exactly how you get into the game is a thing um because if you start as i said buying the rule book and the cards and stuff all separately they they add up mm-hmm. um and the starter set's hard to get hold of but also we're playing war games none of them are cheap to get into and comparatively, this is a, a pretty cheap one, but it is more terrain intensive. So a couple of you know foam hills isn't isn't going to cut it necessarily. Yep. For me, there were there were just a couple of things. The the models, there was just something about the models for this, and this is what took me so long to finally choose. And I eventually just went for one of the the starter crews. There was some of the. All of the, almost all of the crews for me, I liked some of them, mm-hmm. and they looked amazing. 
and the other, there'd be something in it that just looked off to me. Mm -hmm. So I think there's like a tormented or like a tortured the unmade yeah yeah and and they look amazing and their leader looks like a dickhead on stilts yeah so i had the same issue because i looked at them and they looked amazing and then their kind of big funky model Mm -hmm. is yeah it looks like he's wearing stilts and he's got you know sides for either hand but the pose isn't particularly dynamic it's it just doesn't for me there was something about almost Every crew, there was one model or two models in it, like every crew that just held me back. So, I mean, I eventually went for the Golems because there, I mean, there's one or two guys I, re- I really love and there's nobody I hate. Mm-hmm. So it did take me a while and I did really look hard when I was first thinking about doing this into the card sets. I looked at the Skaven card sets. I looked at the all of the demon ones, uh, trying to work out what I could do, what I could play. And, and you know, I'm happy with the guys I've got. Like I said, I, I'm really impressed with my paint scheme. I've uh, really liked the way they've come out but it took me a long time to get there and that was just it's just a personal thing it's you know you might look at the models that i looked at and think they're the greatest things ever and that's that's not an issue at all you just uh, sit there in your wrongness no you know everybody's wrong <laughs> in their own special way uh, including me but the the other thing i did i did have a bit of a hunt around on the web before our game uh, not because I could change anything, because realistically, your eighty-four dollar or whatever you pay for your crew set is going to be a thousand points. Mm-hmm. It's pretty stock standard, which is good and it's great for those starter games. But I, out of curiosity, I looked online as to competitive Iron Golem uh, crews, mm-hmm. and pretty much the one that everybody agreed with was like your leader. And four drill masters, and a couple of other guys. Which all of a sudden means you need to buy four of those eighty drops. Exactly. Box. Yeah. And yeah. Four and it, you know, for quite some time too, the golems were not available outside of the starter box. So, if if that's the way you want to play it, and if you want to go competitive, then you may be looking at. It. I mean, for most crews, you're probably going to be looking at at least two boxes. Yeah. That being said, I think. The other thing, reading a few of the you know forums and Facebook groups and everything, is that the the actual crews made for Warcry in a competitive landscape don't actually stack up. Okay. Even without, you know, even with some some tuning and everything. So for all of them, they're saying, yeah, you'll need a couple of boxes as a start to to kind of take you know the maximum of the models you want to take and mm. and not the models you don't kind of deal. But then you've got the, the crews that you can take using the just the base Age of Sigma and the cards. crews and, and the card sets. And, you know, there's a lot of those that seem to in a competitive environment and, you know, it's not the compi- environment I choose to play most times. No, and it's it's not going to be what I'm going for at all. So but, uh, don't get me wrong on this point. I'm quite happy to stick with my one, maybe if I really want to go... Hardcore, I might get a second. Um, lot to be fair, I'm eyeing off a second one just because I, I, when I first hooked in, I, I had the same thing. I kind of flicked through all the different crews and there were kind of bits I liked and bits I didn't like with mm-hmm. most of them. Um, and when I decided, and it basically came down to what I wanted to paint, 
there yep. were two crew boxes um, that I was kind of eyeing off and going, oh, do I go column A or column B? And I went with the Splintered Fang, so the, the kind of snaky gladiator theme first. And this entire time, on the back of my mind, option B has just been sitting there going, <laughs> okay, but you know you're going to have to do this eventually. It's going to be a thing. So at some stage that will happen. But, um, yeah, we'll see how far. Personally, I'm, I'm quite happy to stick with the golems because, like I said, it was just something something right and something wrong with almost every other crew that yep. I looked at. I don't necessarily want to go down the card route and, and use bottles that aren't for this game, but that's just my mindset. I may, if I get heavily into it, I may try and find somebody who has the iron columns for sale out of a starter box that they don't want to give myself a bit more of an option for my thousand points, but that's about as far as I'll go. Yeah. No, fair call. Um, and that's pretty much it. This book right in a nutshell. Hooray. This is book right, I'm in a nutshell. Um... So, a little bit of feedback we had on Facebook is that Matt likes our smooth, smooth voices. What the oh, fuck yeah. are you doing, buddy? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not listening to much is what I'm hearing. Uh, I've got the radio background, but my radio background is about 15 years ago, and I am out of shape and out of practice. So... My, I haven't changed my voice for that either. So, <laughs> um, what's on? So GTO, Jongtown Open finished today. That was the thing that happened it this actually weekend. Actually happened. So good on them for for getting it organised and getting it together. It sounds from everything that I've been looking at, it sounds like it was an amazing couple of days. Um, a friend of ours, Adam, came second last with his Necron. So go, Adam. Woo. I saw like some of the the effort that the guys went to. So first of all, just the the social distancing measures in this environment they had, like massive space. And looking at the photos of the event, where you just had tables that spread out, there mm-hmm. was no chance they could be near anybody. Yep. Um, until they took all the photos right at the end of all the people with the awards right next to each other. <laughs> um, it was but that they were you know live streaming mm-hmm. the, you know, one of the tables. They were really pushing it because, as far as I could. I, I was led to understand is that there was no availability for spectators at all. No. So you were there playing or... You, you were, were not there. Part of it somehow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff, some of the photos from some of the, the different, you know, armies and stuff I saw, which were was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some monster tyrannid army thing that looked awesome. Yeah. Um, so, there, and, there, you know, guys literally playing some of their first games... A 40k, I saw. It looked like fun. And like all of the armies looked amazing. There was a scar brand with um, glowing eyes. Did you yeah, see Yeah, I saw with the cool, LED ones. Yeah, yeah. light up eyes. That yes. was cool as. Fucking amazing. Like um, to, to do that, something I thought about many a time and never had the guts to do. Yeah. And for all accounts, that guy literally started collecting this army, I think, this year. So it yep. was part of the, mm. the you know, local G dub, slow grow kind of deal. This is his first tournament. And it's an absolute stellar job. So fucking awesome. Um, well done. Yeah. So it sounds like awesome event. As I said, we couldn't go because we weren't allowed. Yep. Um, I was working. That's a thing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, but I didn't go. No, you were playing Walker. Yes. So yeah. I stand by my choices. No, that's fair. Um, cool. Fair cool. 
Play Warcry or think about something that you can't go and watch. Yeah. yeah whatever. <laughs> Just cry into my pillow um, every other night. I did pop into Throw the Dice today too. So I had a good chat with Rich there about the future of Throw the Dice once COVID gets fucked off. So many plans. Uh, so many plans and he's hella interested in Malifaux. We had a good chat about stuff like that and, and no doubt he will have a chat with you about that too. But I've already started maybe throwing a few ideas at him. for. Yeah. Um, I, me- I mentioned the Executioner Brawl tournament that you went to where you had your four choices yeah. and he seemed quite intrigued. Uh, but also we you know, had a brief talk about Warcry as well. So he yeah, was nice. interested to find out you know, how big the board was and you know, how quick the games were. So Yeah. No, so. I think it's it's another good one. I've also had a chat to him about doing some, you know, he's been doing a lot of really good uh, video content mm-hmm. on you know either battle reports or how to plays and stuff like that. Don't watch the Malifaux one. I got <laughs> most of the rules wrong, but um, it was very early in my re- reimagining of, you know, third ed. Um Listen to the second episode of this podcast instead. Yeah, that's a much better idea. Um, but, you know, we talked about doing some Warcry content. We talked about doing some Blood Bowl content mm-hmm. and a few bits and pieces of games that I can actually remember how to play. Um, all on the cards. We started talking about Malifaux and how to sort of start building a community and started talking about not only, you know, tournaments and, and you know, game stays like that, but like achievement leagues and slow grow mm-hmm. leagues and stuff like that. Um you know, he's, he's really keen on getting some regular nights when we're allowed, you know, so there's a regular Malifaux night and a regular War Machine night and a regular 40K night or whatever, mm-hmm. other games, Infinity. Um, and if you've been to Throw the Dice, it's, it's a lovely little store. It's like, so just, nice. it's so cute. And, and really, things like COVID is really stuffing things up shafted them a big one yeah so if you can if you need stuff by all means um support the little guy too because you know the big guys will get through this there's no problems they've got the money and the backbone but the little you know local game shop if you can throw some money their way um i I have always appreciated and i mean even for them not having the the foot traffic is one thing but less access to stock as well. Mm. I know I, you know, sent him a message earlier today going, hey, I'm chasing this, you know, water effect stuff. He goes, oh, had some, sold it, made in Spain, Rona. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it's hard on both ends for them. Mm. Um, so, but, yeah, or, yeah and, and he's doing orders as much as he can. He's so doing, I, I think I sent like five things to him the other day. That I was yeah, <laughs> so. one of these, one of these, one of these. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff is gold. But as I said, the amount of effort he's putting into producing content to getting people in store to do stuff when he can um, and just how excited he is about doing, you know, planning. He's got uh, Winter Wipeout, which is his big Age of Sigma event, which he's had to sort of rejig a little Mm -hmm. bit. It was originally going to be a doubles event over two days. It's now a singles event over one day just because that's what, you know, all that you can kind of do with the restrictions. Um, So that's a thing. Um, I'm not sure if we've got dates for that yet. Not that I've seen. But it is... But you'd be more on top of it than Currently winter, just saying. (laughs) Go check the uh, thing. Um, You know, he's still pumping his uh, From the Darkness Mm -hmm. painting competition, which is... Oh my God, it's the 5th of July uh, on the 18th. Um, 
Shit. Um, two weeks. Less than two weeks. Oh, I did not need to know that. Okay. Um, two weeks. But, and that is, you know, literally throw in an entry for the whole concept of is, you know, this this moment right before death, the, the from the darkness is a, a really good... Um, you know, way a theme to his given is you know it doesn't matter what the the model range is or anything like that. Just paint something up. It's not any limiting. size. It, like it could be you know two tiny little you know twenty eight mil models on a on a base, or it could be you know as big as you want to go. He does not care if if you can fit it through the door of the store. It's mm-hmm. on board. <laughs> um, so it's a decent door. Yeah, it, you know, at least a standard door. <laughs> um, you know, and break it up into parts if it needs to be any bigger than that. So, I'm really hoping that you know the the local scene get behind and and submit some entries and and you know just put stuff in so there's some you know excitement around hobby and painting and and doing that kind of stuff when we can't necessarily always get together for some games at the moment. Yeah. Um, apart from that, last episode you mentioned the Hobby Homies podcast. I did. And on that recommendation I've gone and I've listened to about half of the episode so far. Um, really, really fun to listen to, really good guys. They, they, Whatever they're doing on whatever particular podcast they're doing, they're having fun. They're having an absolute blast. Um, Plus, they've set up this Discord server, which is... uh, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect, but it's basically just a whole heap of, like, chat rooms, and they've based them off different areas. So there's a 40K one, there's a hobby one, there's a role-playing game one, a board game one. Um, But there's a lot of talk going on in them, and really awesome to see the work that they've done in, in... Potentially not that long a time. No, it hasn't been going that long. And, you know, they've really built a community and it's this really sort of positive, you know, supportive environment where you can just throw stuff up and talk ideas and it's really active. Um, So, yeah, you've seen posts most days from the the same group of guys. So, um, firstly, give the podcast to listen to if you're interested in in A, hobby, but B, I mean, they're playing Age of Sigma, 40K, Legion. Legion. Um, board games, whatever uh, else. Conquest. Yeah. Um, there's another one, I think. Um, like it, is Conquest a Japanese one? I don't I'm going know. mental blank, mental blank. We're looking, uh, it's late at night. I am. Oh, shit, it is. Brain is not functioning as it should be. Um, but uh, that being said, definitely give those guys a, a listen. Good and podcast, good Discord channel. And they put a podcast out every week, which is a fair effort. We are not doing that. We are not doing that. And, and you know... Not to say that they're better their, than us, but well, they're more regular. They are at least having more fibre than we are. <laughs> if you listen to them, they, they, they're kind of better. <laughs> oh, are we just setting the bar low? Is that what's oh, going he's on? He's got a hurt expression oh, on his face. Oh, I'm sorry, James. Oh, it's deep. Cut me real deep. They're now. better than me. Let's put it that way. You you might be great, but I'm I'm the one that thought of this thing, and I'm the one that's fucking it up. No, um, but yeah, yeah, hobby homies. Yep, look them up. Good crew to get involved in. Definitely. Uh, that's it for me. I've run out of shit to talk about. Excellent. I think we've been going for a while, haven't we? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. That's well, let's go. <laughs> Where did that time go? It's a lot of shit to say. Anyway, uh, 
we will have another episode up in the next couple of weeks. I have some ideas of a couple of things that we might play. So we will discuss this, and then we, we will, will discuss. Um, and we will. Yeah, there are options. There are things. If you have any feedback, please don't hesitate to shoot us a message. Pop something on the Facebook yep. wall. Um, if there's are, games that you want us to play and, and review slash talk about. Mm-hmm. If there's nuts. games you don't want us to play, by all means, mention that too. And we'll probably play them out of spite. Yes. Well, it depends. Depends who says it. <laughs> depends how much you want to play them, really. <laughs> Let's be honest. Cool. All right. Thanks very much for listening. We will catch you next time. See ya. <laughs>